0: If I, like, for example, one of the strictest rules is do not go over 10 minutes, but if one of the best performances I've ever seen went 10 minutes and 10 seconds.
1: Hi, my name is Talon Stradley, and this is Soapboxers, a fly on the wall podcast about speech and debate. I used to compete on the Orange Coast College team, and now I'm back after two years to document the speech and debate experience and bring it to you. We have visited a few tournaments by this point, and today we're learning about what exactly it takes to run a tournament and how exactly judges, well, judge. So stick around. I'm doing well, how are you doing? It's October 22nd, and we just arrived at Point Loma University. How's the drive? It was good. I'm good? Yeah. How's your drive? Uh, It was good. Faster than I expected, I'll be honest. Yeah, honestly, we got here in good time. Yeah. We're here for the Sunset Cliffs Classic Tournament, the OCC team's last in person tournament of the year. Yeah, it really is. Already, it feels good to be back yeah. in person, especially with a view there. like this. The campus is right on so, the ocean. What, what do we see right now getting out of the van?
2: Right out of the van, we got gorgeous water views, some beautiful uh, tracks and fields, and just amazing architecture, just all around.
1: The group gathers and sets off in search of a room where they can warm up.
0: We go in, to, uh, take them in and find a warm up room. Kristen, I'm gonna go check us in. Okay. I think we can find a classroom in here to start warm ups. Sure, yeah, let's check That's it out. you guys find something, shoot me a text. Will do.
3: And the warm-up starts. To sit in solemn silence.
1: To sit in solemn silence.
3: On a dull dark dock. On a dull dark dock. In a pestilential prison.
1: In
0: a pestilential prison.
3: With a lifelong lock.
0: With a lifelong lock.
1: As the students finish their warm-ups, everyone starts to scatter, preparing for the day in their own way. But this time, I'm not following the students. I'm following the coaches. I want to see what it's like to judge a tournament and how things run behind the scenes. So while all the students go off one way, I go another, following Jimmy Gomez, one of the OCC coaches.
0: Uh, right now, I kind of just like make sure that the students all feel comfortable and know what they're doing and where they're going. And then we kind of break off. Like the students kind of have their own thing. Uh, There's definitely crucial meetups throughout
1: the day, but like I kind of go, like right now I feel like a cigarette. That sounds good. We'll give Jimmy a chance to go smoke. While he does that, I want to introduce you to someone who can give us a bit of an insight into the preparation it takes to run a tournament.
4: Uh, My name is Blake Longfellow, I use he, him pronouns, I'm the co-director of forensics for Diablo Valley College, and I'm also the founder of Higher Judge and the Professional Speech and Debate Association.
1: You may recognize some of those companies from our advertising slots. Well, Blake is the man behind them both. I wanted to talk to Blake about how exactly one runs a tournament. Not only is he a director of forensics in the process of planning a tournament for his own school, but he also helps supply judges to tournaments of all levels through Hired Judge and runs an online tournament every month through the Professional Speech and Debate Association. Blake has made it his business to understand every aspect of how to run a tournament. So he seems like a great place to start. And as you might expect... It takes a lot of work to organize a tournament.
4: Yeah, a lot goes into it. It takes months of preparation, coordinating with the school, with the schools that might be attending your tournament, with the judges, with the students competing at it, with the campus security, with the custodial services at your campus.
1: Like I said, it's a lot. And this process is kind of a collection of catch-22s. You have to get approval from your school to host the event. But in order to do that, you have to know roughly how many people are attending. But people won't attend unless there is a lot of people competing and you can't invite anyone to compete until you get approval from your school.
4: It's a little bit of a chicken and egg issue. No one wants to be the first and only team at your tournament because then their students or competitors aren't really getting a great competition experience. And yet, if no one is committed to your tournament, then it's hard to get others to come to your tournament.
1: Luckily, Blake's got an approach for this. My
4: theory for how to promote the tournament has always focused on getting a couple of big teams to commit early and then being able to use those commitments to attract a bunch of other small and medium-sized teams to join on because they know that it will be a really high-level tournament experience. So that means... When I decided that we were going to host a tournament, one of the first calls I made was to Shah at Orange Coast College to try and get a team like Orange Coast College to commit to come to our
1: tournament. Blake did this with a couple other larger teams as well. In addition to solving this conundrum, there is a myriad of other decisions that need to be made.
4: So anyway, getting back to your question of what goes into preparation, you got to pick dates, then you got to pick what events you're going to offer, then you got to set up your schedule, then you got to put that into the invitation, then you got to decide whose rules you're going to abide by or or if you're going to have your own rules. And is there something unique that you want to do with your tournament that makes it stand out and special and gives people a special reason to come to it?
1: For the DVC thing, which is the name of the tournament Blake School is hosting, they decided to go with a structure called a speech swing. What this means is that they offer all the categories of individual events, that's everything that's not debate, on both Saturday and Sunday. They still have debate on Friday and Saturday, but where most tournaments only have one day of IEs, The DVC thing has two. This is really beneficial for a lot of reasons. Maybe you're a debater who also wants to try an IE. Maybe a student has work on one day but can make it to another. Or maybe you just love speech and debate so much that you want to compete on both days and get that practice. Not many tournaments take this approach, so that can be a bit of an extra draw. But the swing is only one of seemingly infinite structures a tournament organizer can choose.
4: There's a million different tournament designs, million different events that you can offer, different schedules.
1: And that's just the surface of the planning. When the day of the tournament comes around, you have a whole other beast on your hand. Managing, coordinating, and communicating with hundreds of students and your team of judges. After the break, we're going to visit the last in-person tournament of the year to see what that looks like in practice and what it means to be a judge. That's coming up next on Soapboxers. Hired Judge makes the lives of coaches and tournament directors easier by providing high-quality, reliable judges at the click of a button. With over 1,200 judges nationwide, Hired Judge is always there to help you in a pinch. Judges are constantly evaluated for expertise, professionalism, and reliability to help make sure your tournament is successful. Hired Judges or register to receive judging offers at HiredJudge.com. Use promo code SOAPBOXERS at checkout to save $15 off your first judge order. The PSDA has flipped traditional forensics on its head. With the only unaffiliated judge pool, the PSDA competitors receive a higher quality level of feedback and never have to worry about so-called judge politics. Just eight hours on the first Saturday of every month, PSDA tournaments are the most efficient, fun, and fair competition experience in forensics. Professional competitors can win up to $800 a tournament. Learn more at prosda.com and use promo code GOINGPRO at registration to save $50 on your first tournament. Are you enjoying soapboxers? Wanna help out the show? Consider donating. Whether you want to leave a one-time donation through our tip jar or a monthly contribution through Patreon, we have options for you. Our monthly backers get access to ad-free episodes, buttons, and shout outs on the show. Visit Soapboxerspod.com/slash support to learn more. That's soapboxerspod.com slash support. And hey, thank you. Welcome back. The OCC team is at their last in-person tournament of the year, the Sunset Cliffs Classic Tournament hosted by Point Loma Nazarene University. This is where we were at the start of the episode. After the warm-ups and the energy and the pep talks, the coaches take on a different role, judging. The way that it works at most tournaments is that every school that is entered has to provide a certain amount of judges to help the tournament run. Most of the time, these judges are the coaches themselves, and they judge rounds that don't have their own students. Other times, these judges may be hired through programs like Hired Judge. They could also be volunteers, they could be alumni from other schools,
3: they could be even like sometimes there are laymen or like college professors in the discipline but aren't speech and debate coaches, and it it also could just be like family members of like the coaches, like the the, the judges can kind of be anybody, um, which creates an interesting paradigm. For the speech and debate coaches, right? Like as I'm coaching a student, I have to make sure that that speech applies both to a speech and debate person and to a layman. So that depending on what judge they get, they can appease both of those types of judges.
1: That was always an exciting part of competing. Each judge is like their own unique puzzle that you get to try and crack. What do they like? What do they hate? Well, I asked a couple judges at the tournament to see what they value in a round.
2: So I I do have like a few like hard cutoffs that just make judging easier if it's like a hard round. So like, you know, making sure you're following the rules, staying in time, things like that. Um, But like a thing that'll get like a quick pickup from me is like I've judged, I don't know how many rounds in my life at this point. Um, So if you can do something new and interesting um, that of course has a purpose, um, can't just be new for the sake of new, the thing that I find the most important is sincerity. There is something when a student is delivering a speech and you can see whether the student is doing it because it's an extra credit for a class versus it's something that they truly, truly care about. And and I believe that intent carries through, through the delivery. And, uh, and even if they might be a little bit hesitant or rough around the edges, or maybe not as fully memorized, it does not have as significant of an impact if there is emotion attached to the piece. And So that's probably one of the things that I look for.
1: So judges are kind of everyone, and what they think is a winning performance can vary from person to person. They also have responsibilities outside of judging a performance, like managing the round, giving time signals, or delivering results back to the tab room. And that brings us back to Jimmy our judging tour guide. Do you want to come with me? Yes, I am. So what did uh, what'd you just do? <laughs> so right now I went and
0: got and picked up my ballot. And so in the judge's room, or usually next to the judge's room, there's like a ballots in and out room where they take your
1: ballots and give out ballots. And so I went and picked up my ballot. Okay, so we briefly mentioned this last episode, but didn't really go into too much detail. What is a ballot?
3: A ballot is essentially what we use to write down our feedback as well as notate uh, how we feel a person did the round. So maybe they were first, second, or third. Uh, We will put speaker points on those ballots
1: as well. There are three main things you'll see on a ballot. The rankings, the speaker points, and the feedback. So when it comes to IEs, the way it works is uh, we rank them from first place to
0: last place. And so if we thought they were the best, they would get the one, right? So you're fighting for the one. If you didn't do the best, we usually tie at fifth. So you don't get anything worse than a sixth. And so if you were last in the round or even second to last, you'll be getting a sixth as well. You're and So it's a ranking.
1: In addition to rankings, you have speaker points with 25 points being the highest amount given. These points are tied more to how well a student did overall. If it was a really good, really close round, first, second, and third place might have 25, 24, and 23 speaker points respectively. If the round overall isn't too incredible, you might see first place only earning 24 or 23 points. Normally, speaker points don't matter too much, but they are used in tiebreakers, and there are often special awards for the competitors with the most speaker points of the tournament. The last and most important thing we see on a ballot is feedback
3: Um, but most important is the feedback you know is being able to write in the ballot and say here are a few things that based on my experience or based on what I was able to see that I think can really take your speech to the next level and you know the speaker points and all that stuff is nice but it's the feedback that as coaches I mean even there are tournaments we've gone to just for feedback you know just to say hey we are not looking for this to be a competitive tournament we just really want to get your speech in front of a judge in front of people who know what they're talking about so we can know where to go forward so that feedback is invaluable on the ballot. Okay,
1: back to Jimmy, who just found out what event he'll be judging, and picked up his packet of paper ballots. Yeah, this tournament is using paper ballots. And I'm going to be judging senior
0: extemp, second round of the pattern B. And extemp is different. It starts 15 minutes after the rest of the rounds, because they prep for 30 minutes before their speech.
1: Mm. You may remember extemp, or extemporaneous speaking, from our episode on limited prep. In EXTEMP, students have 30 minutes to prepare a 7-minute speech about a prompt they are given, usually about current national or global politics. Because of this extended prep time, competitors go to EXTEMP draw about 15 minutes before the round starts. Then, every 7 minutes, they give a student a prompt and send them off to prepare. After 30 minutes, the competitor makes their way to the room with the judge to perform their speech, with new students arriving about every 7 minutes after that to perform theirs. Since Jimmy is a judge, he doesn't see the prep, and goes straight to the room to start hearing speeches. Every seven minutes, the students come in, perform their speech, and then find a seat to watch the rest of the competitors and be good audience members. As they are performing, Jimmy is making notes on the ballot, marking things the student did well, things the student can improve on. Maybe he jots down a basic outline of their speech so he can better remember each one when he's ready to deliberate. After all the students have performed, he excuses them and then sits for a few minutes more to award speaker points and settle on rankings. After he's done, he makes the trek back to the tab room.
3: So the tab room is where the results are tabulated. So it's kind of where we see ballots come in, see you know who got first, second, or third, put that in the computer, and then are able to use the computer to tabulate out rounds. So who was you know who were the top six people in this event? Yeah. As
1: Jimmy and I walk to the tab room, I ask him about his own approach to judging a round. But yeah, like it's essentially
0: up to the judge completely. Like they give me full discretion. As as to how i want to rank the round um, and so there are different guidelines that obviously we follow like the rules of each event those are things that we obviously need to consider but we can disregard certain rules right like if i like for example one of the strictest rules it is do not go over 10 minutes but if one of the best performances i've ever seen went 10 minutes and 10 seconds that's a rule i can personally overlook and be like oh well yeah everyone else is nowhere near as good as this person who, you know, went over 10 seconds. And, and obviously, it's a, it's a slippery slope,
1: right? It's very, very controversial because of that. It's all a lot more fluid than you might initially think. As a competitor, this can get kind of frustrating. Sometimes you get a ballot back and found out you lost the round because you moved your hair out of your face, or your judge is from a different region where they tend to value things a bit differently. Just about every speech and debate competitor has that one round they know they lost because of some completely random reason. But that's all part of the game. It keeps it exciting, keeps you on your toes, and leaves plenty of room for people to try new things and succeed. Jimmy and I get back to the tab room and he drops off his ballots for the round. The tab room is a bit like a beehive, with coaches flying in with ballots to deliver, and in about 30 minutes, the hive will reignite as judges leave with their ballots for the next round. All day, people come in and out. When the judges aren't judging and waiting for ballots, they get to catch up with each other. A lot of them know each other after years of coaching teams competing or judging. Just like how the competitors get to hang out with their friends. So did the judges.
0: So today is that chance to really meet new people, make new friends, um, but also just to strengthen the bonds that you have over the years. Because even teams that are coming from out of state, you see them twice, three times a year total, once at this tournament, once at the national tournament, you know, that kind of thing. So it's really a good chance to see the people that you haven't seen for six months and With COVID and everything that's going on, maybe it's the first time we've seen them in two years. So just a chance to celebrate and reconnect.
1: That has always been one of my favorite parts of speech and debate. It's a community. From the tournament organizers, to the coaches, to the competitors, it's just a bunch of friends getting together to have fun doing something they love. Sure, there's competition and rivalries and intense discussions about some of the world's most pressing issues, but... There's also a bunch of college students sitting in suits, playing a game of spoons in between rounds. Sorry. Oh my god. Whoa. What is happening? What the heck,
4: you guys? No. You guys are no, going no, really good.
1: <laughs> Noella. <laughs> Noella. You're <laughs> <laughs> going so fast. <laughs> <No.
2: laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Next time on Soapboxers. It is our final episode of the season. First, we'll visit Blake's online tournament, the DVC thing, which just so happens to be the first tournament OCC is competing in parliamentary debate.
3: Parliamentary, it can go in any other style. You need that kind of that partner that almost like that ride and die.
1: And then we'll wrap up the whole season with the PS CFA Fall championships
3: pressure might be the wrong word for me it feels more like extra excitement you know it definitely feels like the stakes
1: are a little higher that's next week on soapboxers soapboxers is produced by myself talon stradley and mixed by chris moore our executive producer is shaheen davari our theme music was created by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder, and our podcast art was designed by the delightful Rhiannon White. Other music in the episode was provided by MusicFind.com. Special thanks to our sponsors, Higher Judge, and the Professional Speech and Debate Association. And extra special thanks to Clark Moore, John Farkas, Fuzzy, Ben Steidel, Aaron McGuire, Ali Beheshti, John Llewellyn, and, of course, my mom, for their support on Kickstarter. If you want to join these saints to the fiscal support of the show, you can visit us at soapboxer's Pod.com support, where we have recurring and one-time donation options. Check it out to get ad-free episodes, buttons, and shoutouts. If you want to stay up to date on the show, you can follow us on Instagram at SoFoxerPod. We're also on Twitter and TikTok. This show would not be possible without the speech and debate coaches and team at Orange Coast College. Thanks for letting me tag along. Soapboxers is a production of Newton's Dark Room, a podcast studio set to explore imagination through antiquated audio dramas and nonfiction expeditions. For more information, visit newtonsdarkroom.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.
2: Yes, uh, speeches are measured in time. And I think this comes more of a habit. I always like to think that whenever the time starts, usually people count down, which means it tells them how much time they have remaining, uh, which means they're always running out of words. Whereas when you ti- time other way, which means the you always feel that there is more you have to say. So it's I feel like it's better for yourself because you're never going to think that even if I only have 10 seconds, then that means that's the only 10 seconds I have. And in this, I guess I feel freer than when I feel locked in when my time is measured. So that's why I use the stopwatch rather than a timer.